Good evening. I hope you're all doing well. We are continuing our exploration into how we can make the most of our time uh, when we're around our crazy families. Now, I want to be clear as we use that phrase, my crazy family, I don't want to communicate that we don't like or love our families. I think that most of us agree that we love our families, even if sometimes we find it difficult to be around them. Uh, we can love people who are uh, relatively difficult. Um, uh, case in point, uh, parents love their kids, even though parenting is insanely difficult. Uh, kids can be immature, they can be loud, they can be combative and greedy, just to name a few of their traits. Uh, but we love them uh, very dearly, and we would do anything for them. Uh, in the same way, our families, um, and sometimes our family, you know, the member, certain members in our family, um, they can have many of these same challenging traits that we find in kids, uh, but we still love them dearly. So I don't want anyone to be thrown off uh, by the, the title of the series when I refer to my crazy families. Um, I'm not saying that we don't love our family, that we don't care about them, but sometimes they can be a challenge. And so this whole series is about how we can relate to them, how we can interact with them in ways that bring us closer together. And uh, hopefully, um, if any of them don't know Christ, um, through our interaction with them, we can bring them a step closer to Christ. Now, uh, with that said, I want us to spend our time tonight focusing on a very important element in any relationship, but especially in those challenging family relationships, and that is the topic of forgiveness. Now, no matter how great your family is, there are going to be times where forgiveness is necessary. Sometimes that forgiveness will be so easy to give uh, that it almost happens as soon as the offense uh, occurs. Sometimes uh, someone will uh, forget a promise that they've made, uh, but you recognize that it was unintentional and that the consequences of them forgetting their promise is minimal at best. Um, or maybe your mother says something that has a bit of an edge to it, uh, but you remember that she's been under a lot of stress here lately and uh, hasn't been feeling so well. And so you just kind of brush it off. Those are the best case scenarios. Those are the times where forgiveness comes very easily. But then there are other times where forgiveness doesn't come so easily. Um, in fact, uh, the idea of forgiving may, for some people, uh, seem almost impossible. Perhaps it's a pattern within that person that is constantly saying critical and demeaning stuff to you, or perhaps they seem to always um, break their promises and commitments to where now you just always expect for them uh, to fall through on their commitments and to, to kind of uh, come up short with the things that they promise uh, to do for you or for the family. Or maybe perhaps it's not a pattern. Maybe it's just uh, something that they've done that was just so painful and so hurtful that even talking about it uh, makes you get upset all over again. So how in the world could you possibly think about giving forgiveness in those type of situations? Now, let me just say right off uh, the bat here tonight that uh, there may be some of you that are watching or listening to this who have been hurt in some truly horrible ways. I do not in any way want to add to your pain or make you feel guilty uh, for having a difficult time forgiving those individuals. 
I too have been hurt in some some big ways uh, that have been difficult to forgive at times. But I've also found that a big reason why it's difficult, at least for me to forgive at times, is because of misconceptions that we have about forgiveness. And so that's really what we're going to be focusing uh, a great deal of our time on, is looking at some of these myths and these misconceptions, these misunderstandings that we have that revolve around forgiveness. Now, the reason why we're focusing on forgiveness is because unforgiveness has the potential to ruin your life, ruin your faith, ruin your marriage and your family. It has a the potential to just um, cause untold devastation in our lives. In fact, I've heard uh, many pastors and even counselors say that if they could get people to understand and embrace forgiveness, the vast majority of the problems that uh, people bring to pastors and counselors would be resolved. There's just so much power in the concept of forgiveness and what that can do for your life that I want us to spend just a little bit of time on this as we think about um, getting together with our families and some of the, the drama that can um, play into that. And so what I want us to do is we're going to look at four common myths or four common uh, misconceptions about forgiveness. And then if we have time, we'll get into some practical um, ideas about how we can incorporate forgiveness into our life, into some of those relationships that maybe we're struggling with. So let's go ahead and jump into myth number one. Myth number one is forgiveness means forgetting the wrongs done to you. Now, this is one of the biggest myths about forgiveness that there uh, is out there. You've probably heard the phrase forgive and forget. Now, um, those within Christian circles may even point to certain verses of scripture to support this idea that you need to forgive and forget. Uh, one example of this is in Psalm 103.12, where the psalmist says, As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Now, if you're like me, uh, you've grown up hearing about God also casting our sins into the sea of no remembrance. Um, uh, this kind of comes from this uh, verse in Micah uh, 7.19 about God just weighing down our sins and casting them into the sea. Now, there are many other verses that we could also uh, point to that kind of convey this idea, but we need to ask the question, uh, does this really mean that God no longer remembers our sin? And if that's the case, does that mean that we shouldn't remember our sins anymore as well? We need to really ask this question because I think the idea uh, of forgive and forget is so pervasive and it's per, uh, penetrated the church that where we've really gotten off target. So let me just ask the question, maybe in, a, in another way to kind of get our, our minds um, uh, where they need to be as it relates to this, this concept, at least within the church. Are we to believe that the all-knowing God of the Bible does not remember the sins that I've committed whenever I ask? for forgiveness. Do we really believe that God no longer remembers the sins of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, uh, Paul, that all the, the, the believers who have ever existed, that when they've asked for forgiveness, God all of a sudden has holy amnesia? Is that is that really the concept that we want to hold on to? And maybe to state it a different way, uh, are we to believe that I because I remember my sins. You probably remember many of your sins as well, even the ones that you've asked God for forgiveness for. Are we to believe 
that I can remember and know something that the God of the Bible doesn't know. That I have knowledge of something that God doesn't have knowledge of. Now, I hope that we can all agree that that can't possibly be the case. But then that leaves us to try to figure out what these verses are actually talking about. And maybe the best way to to understand and explain how forgiveness works with God, and I also believe how forgiveness should work with us, we should look at uh, the picture that Jesus uses to illustrate God's forgiveness of us. Many of you are probably familiar with the story of the prodigal son. And in that story, it's the uh, the story of a son who can't wait to get out of the house and live life his own way. So he asks his dad to give him his inheritance, essentially saying to his father uh, that I can't wait for you to die. So please go ahead and give me the money that's owed to me whenever you do die. So the dad, brokenhearted, gives his son the portion of his inheritance. And then the son goes off and lives life simply. And then once all the money has been spent, he then quickly realizes that he's made a colossal mistake and decides to go back to his father and ask for forgiveness. Now, I want you to hear how Jesus illustrates the forgiveness of uh, God through this father uh, of this story. He says this, But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill him, and let us eat and be merry. For this is my son, who was dead and is alive again, who is lost and is found. Now, the reason why I point to this illustration is to show that the father in this story in no way uh, forgot what his son had done. In fact, he actually mentions it when he proclaims to his servant, uh, servants uh, that his son was dead and is now alive, was lost and is now found. He didn't forget at all what his son had done. He actually remembered it quite well. That's why they're going to have a celebration. And so in the same way, God is, or Jesus is illustrating how God the Father relates to us. God doesn't forget what we've done. God remembers it all too well what we've done, but he doesn't relate to us based on our sinful behavior. Just like this father doesn't relate to his son based on what um, his son had done, he related to him based on grace. And so that's the way God relates to us. He remembers what we've done. He just doesn't relate to us based on the, our sinful choices. And so what that means for us is that when we forgive, it doesn't mean that we have to forget what those people have done. It just means that as we relate to them, we have the choice to make to relate to them either based on their sin or based on grace. We can either uh, relate to them based on how they've treated us, what they've said to us, or we can relate to them the way that God has related to us based on grace and forgiveness. Now, this doesn't uh, mean that it's a quick decision that happens, but it is an actual process. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a little bit. But I just want to, again, reiterate the point that so often we miss, especially in Christian circles, forgiveness does not mean that we forget the wrongs done to us. It means that we don't let those wrongs dictate how we relate to the people in our life. All right. Now, the second myth that we need to... Um, pay close attention to, and we need to go ahead and just debunk, is that forgiveness means that you act as though nothing happened. This is closely related to the idea of uh, for, uh, forgive and forget, um, but it has a, a little bit of a nuance to it. It means that 
um, okay, I still remember what they've done, but I just need to kind of wipe it, uh, wipe the slate clean, and I need to act as though nothing happened. I need to just allow them back into my life. I need to just pour grace upon them and act as though they've never told a lie. They've never hurt me in any way. Uh, that's actually a myth. That's not even the way that God relates to us. Let me give you a few examples uh, to kind of show that this is not how God relates to us. Therefore, uh, this is not how God expects us to relate to others. This isn't how um, God related to Abraham and Sarah. When Abraham and Sarah were promised that they would have an offspring, someone that would continue the name of Abraham, who would be his descendants and that would create a great nation for him, uh, he waited and waited, and waited, and then he waited some more, and still he did not have an heir. And so Sarah came to Abraham and said, hey, listen, uh, God has not brought us a child, and we are getting up in age, and so why don't you go and sleep with my maidservant and have a child through her, and that can be uh, a son to you. And so uh, they victimized Hagar. They used Hagar to obtain the, the promises of God rather than waiting for God. Now, I believe uh, that Abraham and, and Sarah eventually recognized just how big of a mistake this was. It led to um, lots of division in the home. But I believe that they did seek God's forgiveness. I do believe that they uh, did eventually trust God to bring uh, the son. Eventually, God did bring them Isaac. But that still didn't uh, take away um, Hagar or her son Ishmael. In fact, even though God had forgiven them, even though God uh, still blessed them with Isaac, there was still division and conflict, not only in their home, but ever since then there has been conflict in the Middle East because of that that decision. Just because God forgave them didn't mean that everything went back to normal, didn't uh, mean that God wiped the slate clean. They still had the consequences of their sinful choices. Another example of this is Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was someone who robbed Esau of his birthright, of his blessing. He went through his whole life just lying and tricking uh, all those around him. And then when he finally came back home, uh, God had to kind of get a hold of Jacob's life. He wrestled with God there throughout the night and uh, finally got Jacob to the place where he was dependent on God. God uh, dislocated Jacob's hip, and he lived the rest of his life with a limp. Even though God blessed him, even though God forgave him, and God began moving in his life in a powerful way, Jacob still had that limp. Jacob still had many of the consequences of his sinful choices. Another uh, um, popular example of this is King David with Bathsheba. King David committed adultery uh, with Bathsheba. Then he ended up killing Bathsheba's husband and then trying to hide it. Uh, eventually, uh, David um, prayed to God for forgiveness, asked God to forgive him, and God did, but the child that he had with Bathsheba still died, and there was still division and disunity within David's household from that day forward. There was just constant um, uh, conflict, and, and peace was, was constantly avoiding David because of that decision. Again, another example of God can bring forgiveness, but that doesn't mean that he erases all the consequences 
of our choices. And, and we could go on and on with numerous biblical examples, but I think the point is readily apparent. Even in our daily lives, we, we think it's, um, uh, I think it should be obvious to all of us that there are alcoholics who ask God to forgive them, and God does forgive them, but they still have to live with the broken relationships and the messed up liver of their bad decisions. There are husbands who have asked God to forgive them of their affairs, and God does forgive them, but that still doesn't mean that their marriages go back to what it was before the affair. Sometimes their marriages are completely destroyed. There are teenage girls who um, maybe get saved after they get pregnant, but they still um, have to carry and care for the baby uh, that they had out of wedlock. And so the, the examples are numerous, but they all just point to the fact that just because forgiveness is given does not mean that all the consequences of those sinful choices, of that hurt, are then erased. The, the point here is just because you give someone forgiveness that has hurt you in your life does not mean that you then act as though nothing happens. Sometimes there are still boundaries that have to um, be put in place. There are still consequences for the decisions um, uh, that, that, uh, that have been made. And so I, again, I just want to clarify this myth that has been put out there for forgiveness that when you forgive, that means you go back to normal. No, that's not the case. Sometimes uh, you may have to forgive your spouse, but still uh, require them to go to counseling. You may forgive uh, that person who was addicted to alcohol or drugs, but you still establish those clear boundaries around you and around your family. Um, forgive them, give them grace, but that doesn't mean that everything goes back to normal. Um, the third myth I would want to, again, um, bring to your attention and to debunk is this idea that you can't forgive unless that other person apologizes. I've heard this time and time again about uh, people withholding forgiveness until that other person comes to them and uh, recognizes what they've done and asks for um, ask for forgiveness. The, the thing that causes this to be such a a problem for so many people is that we 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 confuse forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is solely up to us. It does not require anything from the other person. It is when we decide to release our hurt, our anger, and our desire for justice into God's hands and allow him to right those wrongs done to us. Reconciliation, on the other hand, requires both us and the other person. It means that we are open to reconciliation and that the other person is willing to address the hurt that they have caused. We can't always reconcile with other per, uh, people because maybe they've died or maybe they don't think that they've done anything wrong or they're unwilling to acknowledge and change their behavior. But forgiveness is solely within our control and our responsibility. We can forgive or uh, we can forgive and release that other person even if they don't change anything about their life. Forgiveness is about releasing yourself from being weighed down and controlled by the sinful actions of other people. It's about trusting God to bring healing and justice to you and what's been done to you. Just because you know you can't reconcile with that other person does not mean uh, that you can't forgive that other person. Don't let um, the fact that you can't reconcile with them, don't let that rob you of the blessing of being able to forgive that other person. Okay. Now, the fourth myth 
is one of the toughest myths uh, out there. It's it's really hard to grapple with, and that's kind of why I saved it for last. And it's the myth that you're sinning if you don't forgive. All right, uh, the myth that you're sinning if you don't forgive. Now, um, this is like I said, it's a really tough one to grapple with. Um, in one sense, it is a sin not to forgive someone, but we need to be very careful how we approach this idea of you have to forgive, and if you don't forgive, then you're sinning. Let me just kind of illustrate how uh, this this idea of sin and forgiveness and sin and unforgiveness, um, how it's not as clear cut as we sometimes try to make it out to be. So um, how let me let me um, let me ask it this way. Uh, how soon after someone sins against you do you need to forgive them? Uh, I mean, let me just again reiterate that again, and I want you to really think about this. How soon after someone sins against you do you need to forgive them before it becomes a sin? Are you sinning if it takes you a few minutes to be able to forgive them? You know, uh, does it take five minutes? You know, thirty minutes, forty-five minutes? Does it take a few hours? How about a few days or, or weeks, months, years? How long does it take in order before your unforgiveness becomes uh, sinful? How do we establish how long this process is supposed to be? Where do we draw that line? Is there a biblical line that we can draw or is it just kind of a personal line that we draw? Now, I'm sure that as I ask those questions to you, uh, you may some of you may be thinking about Ephesians 4.26, which says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Now, some would look at that verse and say, well, there you go. You have 24 hours. And, if, and you need to forgive someone within 24 hours. Or some would even say, no, uh, it's it's until the sun goes down. So if someone sins against you around 5.30 and the sun goes down, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock, then you have just a few hours uh, before uh, you need to go ahead and forgive. What is this really getting at? Some people would say, no, it's not about literally the sun going down. It's about when you go to sleep. Don't go, don't go to sleep angry. Um, but we need to be careful. You know, there's a few things I want us to kind of, think about as we approach this verse and as we think about using this verse as a rule of the timeline of when we need to forgive. Now, the first thing I want us to think about is um, this verse, first and foremost, is talking about anger, not forgiveness. There are plenty of times where I have not been emotionally ready to forgive someone, but at the same time, I haven't necessarily been angry either. You may be at the same place where you have uh, been prayerfully working through your pain and your hurt so that you can forgive someone, but you're not necessarily angry with the person either. You're hurt, but you're not necessarily angry. And so we need to be careful before we begin applying this verse to forgiveness. Now, the second thing I, I just want you to know is that I don't believe this verse, that the point of this verse is to establish a 24-hour limit on all anger um, and conflict or forgiveness. The reason for not letting the sun go down on your anger is to not let, uh, the, not to give the devil a foothold or an opportunity, or uh, maybe another way to say it is not to give the devil a, a, a way to tempt you into sin. And so my question is, is it possible for someone to be prayerfully working through their pain and their hurt, or maybe even their anger with God that takes time, but doesn't cause them to fall into sin? Is it possible that someone could be 
working through with God over a period of hours, days, weeks, months, maybe even years working through this pain in a way that's not simple. They're working with God. They're trying to allow God to um, uh, heal their heart where they can forgive, but it takes time. It takes it's a process, not just a moment. Let me uh, kind of illustrate this maybe uh, with a story. Now, in my last pastoral ministry, I, w- I worked with a family that had been devastated by a family member who had inappropriately touched one of their young children. Um, now, my question to you would be, would it be right to place a time limit uh on when they needed to be able to willingly forgive this family member. Would it be right for when they come to me and they're, they're crying and they're expressing their hurt and their, their, their shock at what had just happened to their family, would it then be right for me to say, okay, I understand that you've been through some hardships and I understand that this is a devastating blow to your family, but you need to forgive this person and you need to go ahead and forgive this person. You need to go ahead and forgive them now, or you need to forgive them by the end of the day, or you need to forgive them by the end of the week, or you need to forgive them as soon as you can. Would anyone fault this family for needing time to work through all the hurt and pain and anger that they were feeling based on what had happened to them? Now, I believe that like Job, it would not only be right, but it also be godly for them to prayerfully struggle through their hurt until they came to the place where they can genuinely forgive that person, even though they were unable to maybe reconcile with them. If you remember Job, he lost his health. He lost his family, his kids, his his sons and daughters, all of his fortune. And he was angry. He was hurting. He was angry at God. He was angry at the world. He, He was praying for God to give him an answer on why this would happen. And he had some friends that came and tried to tell them that, try to tell him that he needed to, you know, let it go and he needed to just trust God. But Job wasn't ready yet in in his hurt and in his struggle. He had to work through it. It took time for him to get to the place where he could give it over to God. And so I believe in the same way, there are some hurts, there are some struggles in life where we can't just flip a switch and forgive someone. We just can't flip a switch and be uh, at the place where we can give over that hurt. Uh, over to God. It's a process. And I think that we would all be wise as Christians to allow people to go through that process, to walk through that with them, to pray through that with them, to allow them to work through that with God, to come to the place where they can genuinely uh, give forgiveness to that person. And I don't want to put a time limit on that. I, I want to allow God to to work in that person's life and, and that's kind of my point is that forgiveness is a process. I can't tell you how long that process is going to be for you or for anyone else. And you can't say that for me necessarily. We need to encourage people not to give over to sin, not to give over to bitterness and anger and resentment and things like that. But we need to allow people to have the freedom uh, in their relationship with God as they work through some of those struggles and allow God to be God in their life and to, and to help bring healing to their heart. So, um, you know, you need to prayerfully work through that in your own life and you need to be careful in how you uh, help people work through that as they talk to you about the hurts that they've gone through. And so those are the four big myths 
that I just wanted to bring to your attention as it relates to forgiveness. Again, all this wraps around the idea of when we come to our, our family get-togethers, especially around the holidays, there's probably going to be hurt. There's going to be um, things that have happened in the past where you have a hard time being around someone because of something they've said or something they've done to you or to someone that you uh, love, and you're maybe still working through forgiveness. That's okay. You you take what we've talked about here tonight. You you continue to um, process that hurt, that 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 um, that wound that you have suffered, and allow God to bring healing to your heart, a place where you can finally give that hurt, that that person, and what they've done to you over to God, and allow Him to right those wrongs and to, to bring healing where healing is needed. Now, real quick, uh, I would probably uh, be uh, remiss if I did not give some practical examples of what we all can do in order to help facilitate this process of healing. And I don't, uh, I'm not going to say that um, the things that I'm about to list are the exhaustive list of what you need to do, or this is a one, two, three step of what you need to do, and everyone needs to work through these steps of forgiveness. But these are just general principles, um, some practical uh, advice on if you are struggling with uh, unforgiveness or if someone that you know is struggling with unforgiveness, maybe here's kind of the, the, the process that you need to, to work through. Now, the first um, step or the first process principle that you need to keep in mind is that you need to face the hurt or the offense, the, the sin that has been done to you. So many times I talk to people and they try to minimize what has happened to them. They try to minimize the hurt. Oh, I'm fine. I'm doing okay. It really wasn't a big deal. They really didn't mean it. They try to minimize uh, the person's behavior. Oh, that's just how they are. They're just you know, they're just stuck in their ways or, you know, they, they just can't teach an old dog new tricks. And so they just try to minimize what has been done to them. They try to minimize the hurt that they're feeling. They try to um, justify it or sometimes they just um, they they're quick to forgive, even though it's not really full and genuine forgiveness. Let me just encourage all of you. You need to face head on. And, and without excuse, without minimizing it, the hurt that you've experienced. You don't need to try to cover it over. You don't need to sweep it under the rug. You need to come face to face with what has happened to you, whether it's big, small, whatever it is. If it is something that is nagging on your heart, nagging on your mind, you need to come face to face with it and, and to, to own up to it, to look it squarely in the eyes and deal with it. And until you do that, you're not truly going to be able to get to the place where you can give that over to God and, and begin moving forward in, in your relationship with God and your relationship with that other person. The other thing, the second thing that I want to just mention to you is that you need to truly allow yourself to feel whatever hurt has happened to you. Again, like I said, so many people try to minimize this. They try to deny the pain that they're they're carrying around with them, or sometimes they, they carry around this false guilt. Well, somehow I've brought this on myself. It's my fault that they said this or they did this or, or whatever it may be. Don't, don't allow yourself to fall into those misconceptions. Feel the pain, the hurt, the disappointment that you have experienced. It may not mean that uh, that other person is truly at fault. I, I'm, I'm not one to, to tell you, uh, well, you're, you're truly innocent or here. I, I'm not going to, you know, uh, try to divide up uh, who's at fault, who's not at fault, you know, who has the, what share of the blame. The fact of the matter remains, what the hurt that you're feeling is the hurt you're feeling. And don't let anyone, including yourself, minimize that. Just 
own up to it, experience it. Maybe you need to shed some tears. Maybe you need to, you know, punch the wall or, you know, whatever it may be. You need to, to, to feel whatever it is, um, whatever hurt that has been inflicted upon you. And then the next thing, once you have looked that hurt squarely in the face, once you have experienced and truly owned up to the pain that you're feeling, then give that over to God. And that's, that's a process. I'm, again, I'm not telling you how long that needs to take, but you, you give that over to God. You recognize that while that hurt was done to you, God is the one who's going to be the judge. He's the one who can right those wrongs. He's the one who can heal that hurt. And so you just give it over to God. You allow him to do what only he can do. And then the last thing I just want to encourage you in is move forward in Christ. And I want to emphasize in Christ. Uh, we need to move forward in the healing that only Christ can provide. And that may be a lifelong thing. Uh, you may be carrying some of those scars with you the rest of your life, but you can move forward. That doesn't necessarily mean that you move forward with that other person. Maybe you can't reconcile with them. Maybe you can't be around that person, and that's okay. Um, but you move forward in Christ, uh, let, allowing him to take those hurts and turn them into blessings. Allow him to take those struggles that you face and, and use those to bless you and bless others. So I hope this has been a, um, a helpful discussion for you tonight. I hope that you'll take what we've uh, shared here and that you'll pray on this, think on this, allow God to use it to open your eyes to some areas that maybe you have been holding on to unforgiveness and begin the process to give that over to God and, and move forward. And maybe this uh, this holiday season, as you get, get around those people that you need to give forgiveness to, maybe you can begin relating to them, not with bitterness and anger, but with grace and forgiveness, not because they deserve it, but because God deserves it. And you deserve to be free of that hurt and that bitterness. So uh, with that said, we're going to close things out uh, for tonight. Come back again uh, next week as we're going to take a look at how to handle conflict. Even if uh, uh, you have given forgiveness, maybe there's conflict that's looming over your head, or maybe there's fresh conflict that you're not even anticipating, but happens whenever your family gets together. We're going to take a look next week on how you can handle that in a way that's Christ-like and brings unity, hopefully, to the family. So take care and God bless.